All right, all right. Uh, real quick, let me gather you back. Let me gather you back. Um, what, what would it be? Let's just hear a couple people shout out. Okay. Would you say prayer? Okay, good. You eavesdrop. That's maybe where we're going today. But what else? Organic chemistry. Organic chemistry. All right. How to be a father, I heard. How to be a father, organic chemistry. What else? How to invest in the stock market. How to invest in the stock market in light of the coming recession, right? Um, okay, what else? Patience. Walk on water. To submit. To listen, okay? To love the way God defines love. Amen. All right. That's a good one. That's a good one we'll close it up on. So whatever it would be, if you think about all of what Jesus has done in his life and his ministry, uh, maybe, it was asking, maybe you'd ask him to teach you how to feed a, a group of 20,000 people with a little boy's Lunchables. Maybe, maybe it was walking on water. Maybe it was stilling the next Minnesota blizzard. You can just stay in the Dakotas or stay in Iowa, right? Don't come back here. I'm just kidding. I love that. Those are great areas. What about casting out demons? What about raising the dead? What about being able to captivate a crowd and to still the, op- opposition, the opposition of, of, of those that would oppose you? Whatever this would be, um, this is a key question. And this is a key question because we actually have this question posed to Jesus only one time in the Gospels. And it's right here in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's going to come up on the screen. We have here, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, so this is one disciple speaking on behalf of the rest, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So this is a significant moment. Of all the things that Jesus' disciples could have asked for, they could have uh, asked Jesus to teach them how to do, it was that Jesus would teach them how to pray. And why is that? I mean, by this moment in Jesus' ministry, they had witnessed Jesus exercising supernatural power in numerous ways. Power in his teaching, power in healing, power in delivering, power in redeeming and restoring. Yet they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Here, here's the key idea. Here's the big thing. If you don't take away anything else from today, remember this. That if you can learn to pray like Jesus prayed, you will have the power to live as Jesus lived. If you can learn to pray like Jesus prayed, you will have the power to live as Jesus lived. And beloved, here's the good news. You can we can, because Jesus answered this. Any way that he answered this, he didn't leave us guessing. He didn't leave us with a list of options. He didn't leave us with a cute little acronym. Whatever God, he left us with a command. He says, when you pray, say this. And whatever God commands, God enables. In other words, because Jesus answered the disciples' question with a command, that means there's grace available to empower us to obey whatever was commanded. So in other words, we can and we must pray like Jesus. And what follows in Luke 11 is one of two versions of what was traditionally been titled as the Lord's Prayer. This is the shorter of the two versions. 
And Matthew's version gives a little more detail. And while the words are different, the emphasis and the focus, the rhythms are the same. And so in other words, what Jesus follows with is not here's what to pray. Don't just say these words out loud, but here is how to pray. Now, it's obvious in the text, but sometimes the most profound thing is a statement of the obvious. Why did Jesus ask, why did his disciples ask him how to pray? Well, it says that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, in other words, Jesus' disciples had witnessed Jesus' life of prayer. In fact, the reason why we actually have Jesus' words written down is because they heard Jesus praying to the Father. And so, uh, in other words, they had and saw a connection between Jesus' praying and the power of which Jesus lived and the way that he taught and the way that he ministered and the way that he worked miracles. So if Jesus prayed, then how much more do you and I need to pray? And so here's, there's a sense in which Jesus is the only person who ever lived that didn't need to pray but did in order to teach those who do need to pray but don't know how to pray. So, in other words, uh, this, this idea is that how did Jesus view prayer? And I like to say it this way, Jesus didn't have a prayer life. He had a life of prayer. Here's the difference. We often pray out of the context of life and ministry. It's, just, it's, it's a category. It's one of the things that we do, and it's one of the things that we don't do. So we do and we don't do. We kind of wave, go in and out. While Jesus lived and ministered out of the context of prayer. So in other words, we pray out of the context of life. Jesus, Jesus lived out of the context of prayer. So this was the very lifeblood of Jesus' life. And so for this morning, what I want to do is I want to explore Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer because it carries a critical context about the nature of prayer that you and I need to know, hear, and obey. And I owe much of what I'm going to share with you this morning to a dear friend and mentor of mine by the name of Daniel Henderson who uh, was a pastor for uh, a number of years and his last stint of being a pastor was right here in the Twin Cities. Um, and I actually went to school and undergrad here as a student with one of his sons. And when I graduated, I came back, he was speaking in chapel and I was sitting right up there. So that's the fifth section, you guys right back there. If you're in the fifth section, say hello. Say hey, hey guys, hey. Okay, you all there? All right, got a couple, okay. I was sitting back there with you guys and I was sitting there, and as I was listening to what, what, I'm, what I'm about to share with you, and, then, and, and specifically how I've applied it and tweaked it in my own life, um, I remember this like proverbial light bulb just went on in my head. And I'm like, I've completely missed something. Something that was so familiar to me, that yet I did not catch how this could be absolutely transformational in not just having a prayer life, but cultivating a life of prayer where I could actually pray like Jesus prayed so that I would have the power to live as Jesus lived. And so here, before we get into the actual version of, of Matthew's, uh, uh, the, his writing down of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So if you have a copy of your scriptures, I want to invite you to turn there. This is right smack in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we read in verse 9, Jesus commands, pray this way, or pray then like this. And that pray, that's, that's in the imperative. There's the command. Yet before we explore and apply Jesus' model of prayer, we need to see the context of how this portion of Jesus' sermon led up to this moment. 
We see in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus begins with a warning about how not to practice our righteousness. And he, he, it's an interesting phrase because this tells us that our life of faith is something that we practice. It's something that we participate in. It's something that we don't just drift into being. It's something that we have to be intentional about. But yet there's a wrong way to practice our righteousness and there's a right way to practice our righteousness. So Jesus first applies this concept of practicing righteousness, practicing right living, practicing life patterned after the one who lived a perfect life, Jesus our Savior, and he applies it first to the way that we give. And he goes on to apply it the way that we fast and handle possessions. Essentially, he lists off a bunch of different, what we can maybe say, spiritual disciplines or practices. But he, right here, right where we're going to focus here, is what it looks like to, to, to put this into practice in the context of prayer. And so in, in Matthew 6, 5, and 6, so right before this, it says this, Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So the first thing that that Jesus, uh, he condemns a wrong motive. And here's the thing, a wrong motive will always equal receiving uh, a fleeting reward. Our motive in prayer is directly linked to the reward of prayer. We learn here that there is a reward in prayer. It's just a matter, do you want your reward from people? Or do you want your reward from God? And so Jesus is corrective, me too. Jesus' corrective is to begin with the right foundation. With God's, with a God word, worship-based focus. He goes on in verses 7 and 8 in Matthew 6. And when you pray, another do not, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, pray then like this. What he condemns next is, and what he warns us against now, is not just the wrong motive, but the wrong method. The wrong method equals missing a connection altogether. The empty phrases that Jesus refers to here seems to be connected to the needs of one praying and thinking that being heard is tethered to certain repeated phrases. Yet Jesus' corrective changes uh, is to change the very fervor, the very heart, and recognizing that we pray to a God who is our Father, who knows our needs even before we ask. Therefore, God's hearing is not dependent upon our words, but rather the condition of our hearts. And so, now before we move into Jesus' model of prayer, let me say that it's even possible to take this model prayer of Jesus and apply it with the wrong motive and with the wrong wrong method. Here's what I mean by this. I grew up learning the Lord's Prayer um, by rote memory uh, at a very young age. And I'm actually really thankful that I did because I keep continuing to go back to it. And the the Lord actually used that dot on the map of my life of faith and, and connected it and filled it in uh, with the actual substance of, of, of the purpose behind it. But I used to literally, when I, at, at night, I'm not kidding, I would take a cross necklace, because I was really serious about my faith, and I, and I would pace around my room and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. And I would just go like that, and then, and, then I, and then I'm like, I don't really feel any different. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, nothing. Our Father who art in heaven. Didn't work that time. I just got to, I just, I literally used the very words of Jesus and I heaped up and I used them as empty phrases because I was missing a connection altogether. Now, God in his grace knew I was trying as best as I could with what I knew 
And um, I actually ex remember experiencing a change of attitude, a release of anxiety, a, a, an actual infilling of joy in my life. And so I, I thought for a moment, okay, I'm, what I'm doing is working. But the Lord has redeemed from just using the structure of the Lord's Prayer and helping connect it to the very substance of it, which is Jesus himself. And he has redeemed it from just repeating from rote memory to replicating and reproducing it from remembrance and actually applying the Lord's Prayer in my every single day life. And so as we move into it, let me say this. To the degree that we pray like Jesus is equal to the degree that we pray Scripture. And so as we go through the, 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 the key motions of the Lord's Prayer, uh, I want us to uh, consider how we're going to use, how we can use this to lay over the top of any passage of Scripture, and we can actually pray like Jesus by praying His words back to Him, allowing His word to fuel our conversation. So there's two ways that we can look at the Lord's Prayer. The first one is this. It, it's kind of, we can call it the 2-2 two -two pattern. It's kind of an upward and a downward uh, and it's taken to two parts. If you really split up the Lord's Prayer, the first part of it is God-word. And the second part of it is man-word. So, uh, in other words, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about God. It's all about you. It's all about Him. Right? Uh, and, then, and, then, and then the second half, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us, or our debtors, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. It's talking about us and our needs and where we're going and, and how God intersects with that. A, a way to summarize it is to say this, and this is say with me. Say, he is worthy. He is worthy. I, am needy. I am needy. Do it one more time. He is worthy. He is worthy. And I am, needy. I am needy. And so when I come to the Lord in prayer, I first express praise and thanksgiving that of his worthiness to be worshipped. And secondly, I humbly bring my needs and confess my need before him who sits upon the throne of grace. And since God knows our needs before we even ask of him, his answers are even better than our requests. He knows, he knows, and he hears, and he responds. But yet the second way is, a, is what could be called a 4-4 four, four pattern. And I, I like to, uh, to uh, as I was taught this, it's just real simple to put this into action. It's almost kind of like a 4-4 four, four cadence of, of uh, any of you musicians out there, right? So it's, just, it's the 4-4, four, four, right? And I'm not going to do this completely correct because I don't take conducting classes. But if you were to think about it, so we already got it right here, all right? So, you, okay, perfect. So let's just do this together. But just, just go upward, downward, inward, outward, upward, downward, inward, outward. Where, however that works. Yep, so you got it, all right? So just think about it this way, that when we pray, when we pray, the Holy Spirit is the conductor. God's word is the sheet music that we're, that we're, that we're praying from. And, and, and God is, the, and, and, and the whole Trinity is the audience. He's the one that we're praying to. He's the one we're conversing with. He's the one that we're communing with. And so let's just take these one at a time. First, and this, this will just stay up here. First is the upward stroke. This is expression of reverence for God. So when Jesus says pray this way, he says pray like this, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We ask a key question of who is God? And ultimately, prayer is my response to the character of God, which leads to praise and thanksgiving. Prayer is my response to the person, the presence, the position, the power, that's too many Ps, greatness, majesty, the love of God. In other words, the first part of prayer uh, that, that, that Jesus highlights for us and how we pray like him is we need to remember and recognize who we are praying to. So prayer does not begin with, well, okay, what do I say? Prayer begins with God and who he is. In prayer, 
God is always the initiator, and we are always the responder. And so in other words, prayer begins with the revelation of who you are praying to, and here Jesus calls God again for the third time in this text that we read, Father. This was revolutionary in the time of, of, of Jesus for him to refer to God as his Father. You see, prayer, prayer should be, one, for sure filled with reverence because God is holy, but yet prayer is also filled with this sense of, of intimacy because God is our Father. So we see here both the transcendence of God, that he is above and beyond all things, but also the imminence of God, that he is closer than your own breath. And here Jesus reveals the primary purpose of prayer, which is cultivating an intimate relationship with your Creator. Christian author and uh, uh, evangelist Alvin Reed puts it this way. One of the best definitions of prayer I've ever heard. He says, prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Prayer is intimacy with God. He is worthy that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. We are needy. His purposes in and through us. Here's a motive checker in prayer. Pastor, there's an old pastor, Peter Lord, um, and, and he said it this way. If God promised you two things today— the number one, you'd go to heaven when you die. And number two, that he would never use you again in ministry for his kingdom. Would you still pray? If God promised that you go to heaven when you die, and that number two, he would never use you again in any type of ministry situation, would you still pray? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Here's the idea. We so often connect prayer to our doing for God when the primary purpose of prayer is to, is to connect our being with God. And uh, this, this idea, we ought, and, and, and so uh, there's an old quote too by another old Christian, uh, E.M. Bounds. He says this, little prayer, little power, more prayer, more power, much prayer, much power. And while this is absolutely true, I think we could actually tweak this a little bit and say that, that, that intimacy and purity of heart precede any expressions of God's power in and through us. To put it this way, a uh, little prayer, little intimacy. Uh, more prayer, more intimacy. Much prayer, much intimacy. And if we are intimate with God, we will not be intimidated by man walking in the fear of the Lord and, and having his purposes fulfilled in and through our lives. And one of the ways that I like to say, say it this way, and when we pray, we need to let our gaze be on God, our primary focus and our glance on our requests. So it's a difference between seeking God's face and seeking his hand. We seek his face for who he is rather than just his hand for what he does. And uh, friend and mentor Daniel Henderson puts it this way, that if we only seek God's hand, we may miss his face. But if we seek his face, he'll be glad to open his hand to us. And I know, I know Facebook is a thing that our parents and grandparents are more participating in than we are right now, but when it comes to social media, um, we need to get, our, 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 get, get off of Facebook probably and get more, get more uh, our face into his book, okay? We need, we need to get off of Twitter and we need to get into his text, okay? We need to maybe even get off Instagram and actually cultivate intimacy. And we can use those motives, we can use the platform of social media to do that, but we have to be very careful and how we do that. So here's the thing. Practically speaking, how to pray like Jesus, I begin prayer with an open Bible because the Bible is what reveals who God is to me and what he's like. And then I take his words and I just begin speaking after, uh, speaking them back to him. And here's the thing. Um, all of hell will be unleashed trying to stop you from doing this. If there's anything that the devil does not want you to do, 
It's to pray. And not just individually, it's to pray together, communally, corporately. But when I sit, whether I'm alone or whether I'm with some brothers and sisters, and I open his word and I begin to whisper his word back to him in praise, declaring his worthiness, declaring my neediness, we pick a fight with the devil at a whole new level. And uh, again, to quote friend and mentor Daniel Henderson, we're called to be praying menaces to the devil. And so that's why our first response is prayer, not our last resort. And prayer isn't the only thing that we do, but it must be the first thing we do. We can do more than pray once we've prayed, but we cannot really do anything until we've prayed. And so that's why Jesus models this. He models this for us by going to the Father. And I love, I love, last thing I'll say about this, and we're gonna, oh man, okay. We're gonna go through the last couple motions. Here's the other thing. If you don't come back uh, Thursdays or, or prayer chapels, we model uh, we model what we do in prayer chapel after the Lord's Prayer. And we're actually going to tomorrow, if you normally don't come on a Thursday, I want to encourage you to come back tomorrow because we're just going to pray through the Lord's Prayer in, in pattern after this way and just using that very prayer as ways that we pray back to the Lord. But we have, we have, a, we have a few more moments, so stick with me. But here's one thing I love about Jesus when we see a model. In Mark 135, it says that while it was yet still dark, Jesus got up and went to a lonely, desolate place, and there he prayed. And what we got to understand is that Jesus was the most busy person ever, right? There was nobody who ever had, who had more demands on their time than Jesus. And the day before that, he was up into the night when the whole towns and villages were coming to him. And he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick, and he was teaching them. And, and, uh, and it says that, that he was up there late to the night, but then that next morning when, man, he could have slept in, he got up early. And he actually ran away from ministry in order to pursue intimacy. And so we see that in the life of Jesus, and friends, um, that, is, that is the place where we start. So we begin with an upward focus, and then we have a downward response. And this is our downward response of, of looking at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here we ask the question, how do I respond? So we consider what God's will is for our life and his purposes for the world, and then we surrender to God's ways, pledging our loving obedience. One author put it this way, the will of God is not only the highest good, the greatest achievement, and the best any person could hope for in this life, it's also the command of God. Therefore, because God is God and God is our loving Heavenly Father, prayer becomes that time when I seek Him, not to bring God to my viewpoint, but to bring myself to His by the discovery of His will and His way. And we see Jesus Himself model this type of surrender when He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we pray from a posture of surrender, it causes heaven to invade earth as God's kingdom is displayed through his redeemed people. And then I'm going to go through these last two real briefly, but let me, just, let me just put it this way. So when we pray inward, those are our requests. This is probably where we don't need a lot of instruction because we get this. We, we bring, that's primarily the way that we have. We have a, we have a request-based approach when Jesus shows us a worship-based approach. But let me just say a couple things about our requests. One is that um, this idea... Um, we need to pray, uh, I'll put it this way, pray retail, not wholesale. What I mean by this, wholesale praying goes something like this. Love you, Lord. Thank you for all the things that you do. Forgive all my sins and bless everyone and give me all that I need. What did I actually ask God for? I mean, maybe he, obviously he knows all things, but no one else really, like, what are you talking about? How do you know if he answers that, right? Retail praying means being really specific at all times or all things. 
saying, I thank you, Lord, for, uh, I thank you, Lord, for my wife, Maddie, and for my, and for my son, Bennett. And I, I thank you for uh, the fact that I had water to drink this morning. I thank you that I have shoes and I have feet to go in my shoes. I thank you for your mercy and grace in my times of failing. Pray specifically. And I love this. The, uh, seek to match your motive of asking with God's motive of answering, which is his glory. So in other words, not all prayer requests are created equal. I think we often pray to escape difficulty and discomfort more than embracing discipleship. Consider this, if God were to answer all of your prayers in the last week, would the world be any different? Or would just your world be different? One author, one author James Walker, once stated, we spend more prayer energy keeping sick Christians out of heaven than trying to keep lost people out of hell. Uh, even a step closer, Jesus' own half-brother James said in James 4, 4 3, give, give us the solemn words that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So ask specifically. Be as specific as possible. Even in the comment boxes, be specific. And to say, what, how would this impact the kingdom if God were to answer my prayer? And God does care about everything. Um, but, there, but, but all the ways that he would answer our prayers are a means by which um, for greater kingdom purposes. So praying outward. Lastly, readiness. Uh, it says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from email. Get him. Yeah. Oh, man, that's an evil in my... No, I'm just kidding. So deliver us from the evil one. This idea of praying like Jesus, it's, it's recognizing where do I go from here? Even, to, even before, and we're going to close in just a couple moments, so stick with me. Okay, we're going to all go from here, and we've got to recognize that there's a spiritual battle before us, but more importantly, gee, there's spiritual resources within us, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so when I pray like Jesus, when I go from a time that I've set aside to pray, whether it's by myself or whether it's with others, that I'm bringing with me his truth, I'm bringing with me one of his promises, I'm bringing with me my sword that I can swing and that I have as a part of the armor of God, that I can live and walk victoriously, that I can say yes, yes to Jesus and no to sin, whenever, not if, but when I'm tempted. And so this idea of, of praying outward gives us this readiness that we walk in Jesus' help, his power, his deliverance, and his victory that he's already won for us. And so I want to invite us, as we close, to pray this prayer of Christ together, out loud. And maybe you come from a church tradition where you do this, maybe you don't. But tomorrow we're going to pray after the spirit of this prayer in prayer chapel. And uh, the next slide is going to have, um, and I want us to mention a couple things. Notice the plural personal pronouns in here. We have our, us, our, us us, our, we. We so often think of prayer in terms of, of I and, 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 and me and my when primarily the New Testament talks about prayer is more of us and we and our. And so this is something that best, one of the best ways to pray like Jesus prayed is to pray with others. And so that we can do that and we have a space to do that. So would you stand with me and let's just say, let's pray this together and really mean it. And really mean it. And then we're, then we're going to be closed. So let's pray these words of Christ and then let's trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us to pray after this pattern so that as we pray like Jesus prayed, we'll have the power to live as Jesus lived. Let's pray together. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's just say, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You are sent, and you are loved. God bless you. We'll see you back tomorrow.